And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined as always by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. We're going to be reflecting on our transfer window activity and looking specifically at some of the stories that were flying around on the final day of that transfer window very shortly. But first, Rashane, first of all, hello, how's it going? Let's talk about the Liverpool game. I'm all good, Sam. I just about just about got over that defeat against Liverpool. Also recovering from the fact we haven't signed anyone to our striker. <laughs> I was uh, really stressed about that Liverpool game. I tried to be kind of relaxed. I'm not the sort of person who gets too uptight anymore like I did when I was younger about games. You know, you just... Life's too short. But uh, this was a game. I think I felt it was because we were off the back of six wins and that we'd reached the heady heights of fourth at one point and we could have gone back into fourth and leapfrog Liverpool. All of those things, it felt like everyone was watching and someone, a Spurs fan, texted me before the game with the words, time to see if you're the real deal. This was after Liverpool had announced their team, which was clearly a very weakened team. And it was that one phrase that I thought, oh my God, that's true. This is, we've, we've all been praising West Ham all season, praising David Moyes, saying he's the new messiah, talking about how this team can compete with anyone. But now, Liverpool are like a wounded lion, right? And they're coming to our place, and this is where the pressure is really on. Have we got what it takes? Have we got the minerals to actually put our money where our mouth is? And I got really super nervous about it and felt really stressed. And and that first half, which was very tense, to be honest, I haven't felt like that watching a game in ages. I was really like, I wouldn't say I felt sick, but I was so nervous. It was so cagey. In the first half, I thought, this is a strategy. Moyes knows what he's doing. We're holding back and we're going to hit him on the counter in the second half. In the second half, it became clear, well, it wasn't really a strategy. It was just we were playing rubbish. Um, did, did you feel the same way? Did you feel there was like the world was watching? On Sunday, I woke up in a really good mood. I was like, I'm really looking forward to this match later on. Really looking forward to it. Great chance for West Ham to show everyone that we mean business, that we're the real deal. And as you touched on, the fact that Liverpool had a threadbare defence in what, Phillips, Nathaniel Phillips and Jordan Henderson. The fact they had uh, didn't have Sadio Mane. I just felt like, yeah, this is the chance for West Ham to show everyone that we're deserving of being in the top six and we can really cement a, a strong push for a top four spot. And... My takeaway from that match is that Liverpool, sorry, not Liverpool, West Ham showed Liverpool way too much respect. And in my piece, I sort of said, like, in boxing terms, it felt like a boxer who was, like, given a chance to contest for a heavyweight title and they didn't have the belief they could win. They were grateful for the chance, but they didn't have that belief they could, like, cause an upset and, and shock the world. And it just felt like, at times it felt like we're a little bit in awe of Liverpool. Like, oh, my goodness, we're facing Liverpool. Like, this is incredible. Well, I was thinking, come on, like... Play to the strengths of Antonio. Stop playing long balls. Like play the free throw attack and football we saw against Crystal Palace. And I didn't see any of that on Sunday, unfortunately. I just felt like a missed opportunity. 
Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than £1 a week. Just go to theathletic.com slash westhampod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com slash westhampod. It was gutting, and when the game was over, I really felt flat. I mean... We'd forgotten what it was like to <laughs> yeah. lose for starters. But I expected, I wasn't convinced that we would come away with anything. But I did think it would be a close game in which we could really go toe-to-toe with an elite club. And what really killed me was the fact that there was just, despite the fact that they were really, you know, this was a poor Liverpool eleven in, in, in the context of yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, there was decent 11 players, of course. But, I just thought there was a huge gulf that that was so evident in the second half, and I was at I was absolutely gutted. But since then, I've dusted myself down, mate. I don't want you or anyone to worry. I'm okay, and I think that really Moy's got it wrong tactically. I don't think the players necessarily bottled it. I think that they obviously went out there with clear instructions to sit back and invite Liverpool on and basically play for a point if we could get one. And I think that was completely the wrong approach. However, there are a lot of people running around on social media, wetting their knickers, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying that this proves that Moyes isn't up to the job and all the rest of it, uh, completely discounting the absolutely gargantuan task he has pulled off in the last 12 months, turning our, our club around from a basket case into one that is chasing a European place. Um, I just think he had a bad day and I think that he, he probably knows him and his coaching team, they got it wrong. And all we can hope now is that we learn from it and the next time we come up against a top side, City in a few weeks, that we approach it differently. Do, do you think do you think this is on Moyes? No, I don't think it's on Moyes. And when I saw the reaction after the game, I was like, oh, get Moyes out. I told you all, Moyes is a terrible manager. I call it fake outrage. Just fake outrage. People just... It's the popular thing to get angry on Twitter amongst West Ham fans, it seems. Like, you say the wrong things, you get like 100 retweets and everyone jumps in the bandwagon. I'm like, look at what Moyes achieved this season. It says a lot that we feel upset about not beating Liverpool and we're still in fifth. It says a lot about how far West Ham have come. My, my, my sort of frustration in that match, I, I felt like we had the mindset of last season in the fact that we're just happy to stay up that sort of, you know, relegation fair sort of mindset where it's like, no, we're in the top six on merit. We played brilliant this season. We deserve to be here. And I just wish the players had that belief they could get a result against Liverpool. But my only frustration, if they had that belief they could get a result, then it could have been a, a, a different scoreline in my opinion. So, but my only frustration, I wouldn't pull it on Moyes at all. I think that, well, I suppose I'm between the two points of view. I do think it was Moyes' ultimately the butt rests with Moyes for the performance. But I don't think that means that Moyes is a bad manager. I think that managers sometimes get things wrong. God knows Klopp has got things wrong this season. You know, Pep Guardiola gets things wrong. They, they all do. You know, every time in the Premier League you're coming up against the great side, every team you play has the capability of beating you. And you're effectively involved in a, in a game of you know, chess with the opposite number and you can't, you just simply can't win them all. And he, he chose the wrong approach. And if the players went out without belief, again, I've got to point the finger at Moyes for that, because if you look at Moyes' comments before the game, he was going out of his way to play down our chances 
and temper expectations. I can't, I haven't got the verbatim quotes in front of me, but it was, it was, he was basically imploring, you know, the press not to, um, you know, compare us to Liverpool, put us in a similar bracket to Liverpool. And I think, but hang on a minute, if we'd won that game, we would have leapfrogged Liverpool. You can't <laughs> argue with that. You know, you can talk about all of the other things by which you, you measure a, a club's ability. Um, and, and on almost every level, you'd, you'd rate Liverpool above us, of course, yes. But listen, play the game in front of you. If we'd won, we would have gone above Liverpool on merit. But you know what? You know, and I think that yeah. it, it, the, the one flaw, if you talk to Sunderland fans, I mean, you know, of course, there's there's fans of Man United who aren't that keen on him. Uh, some have sympathy. Everton fans generally still love him. S Sunderland fans um, almost universally hate him. <laughs> and one of the main things they cite is the fact that from the moment he arrived, he played the game of, of trying to... Uh, temper expectations and underplay Sunderland's chances of doing anything other than fighting relegation. And they thought that was a, a form of self-preservation for him. But I think, yeah, maybe maybe he lacks that sometimes. Maybe he needs a little bit more of a Churchillian sort of aspect to the way in which he talks to the players and the fans generally at times. I can say, just you know, being the devil's advocate here, who to say that wasn't reverse psychology for Moyes? To say that to the media and be like, behind the scenes, say to the players, prove me wrong. Go and prove me wrong. Go and prove to me why, you know, we deserve to be where we are and why we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a team like Liverpool. Because I just felt like, I know we talk about, you know, it could be on Moyes and whatnot, but in that first half performance in particular, the players just, they didn't put a performance to tell that showed me that we were deserving to be in the top four side. There was no belief in that first half. It felt like we were playing Andy Carroll up front, no matter how long balls were playing. It might it might be have been reverse psychology, but if it was, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, I feel that the players have there was previous games this season against big clubs, including the previous game against Liverpool. Which, by the way, and a lot of Liverpool fans said this to me on Twitter, we played better in the game at Anfield. I felt we should have come away from that with at least a point. But you just simply can't say that about this game at the weekend. Liverpool were good for that scoreline. They were good for the three points. Uh, we didn't deserve anything more than, than what we got. But the point I'm making is, is we've taken on teams like Liverpool, Manchester United this season and City, where we got a draw, where we've gone toe-to-toe. -to -toe. When we, we've won back um, possession and then we've really run at teams. We've gone at them. We've created a number of chances. And I, I just, I don't know, maybe you're right, maybe it was the players had the wrong attitude, but I think that they had been told to go out there and just focus on defending. And when they got the ball, there wasn't really a game plan because whereas usually we win the ball, say on the edge of the area, and then everyone breaks forward, especially the wingers and Antonio, I think that those, I think Bowen, um, Kufau, Fornals, they weren't, they weren't, like running as much as they weren't at attacking or taking up offensive positions as much as they used to. They were holding their positions almost with the expectation of losing possession again very quickly. And the irony of that is that once we were one nil down, we, uh, we, we did suddenly go the other extreme briefly, which is how we conceded that second goal. Yeah. The second goal is absolutely unforgivable really to have a corner Considering that that's our biggest threat and we're well known for being the most dangerous team in the Prem from corners and set pieces, to, to take a poor corner and immediately let the opposition score in, what, about three touches 
was absolutely insane, wasn't it? That was like a late Christmas gift to Liverpool, that back goal. It was just just crazy the amount of players we had up front and then left ourselves vulnerable on a on a counter attack and yeah, Salah scored to to make it well, to make put them in two goals up and what will be a lead for them eventually. And I just felt like you touching it, Bowen, I know didn't play well. I thought Dawson had a good game. From now on, I'll be calling Dawson Fabio Cannavaro because he deserves it. Someone on Twitter called him Virgil van Dawson, which I quite like. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Mm. I like, that's a really good one. Yeah, he had another good game. And I think I'm going to say about 10 minutes after the second half, we had a great chance where Bowen went on the attack on the right flank, crossed it in, and Antonio just narrowly um, missed the right post. And you're thinking if you score that, it could be an entirely different game. So, yeah, all in all, definitely loads of frustration from that match. And as you touched on, hopefully when we play the big teams, uh, Tottenham and Man City soon, like, we have a different mindset. i tell you what it is, Rashane. It's like, this is extremely rare. And I mean extremely rare, almost unique in the history of West Ham that we get to this um, point of the season in the position we're in, right? We were fifth and we were playing to go fourth in late January, right? Last day of January. And we were playing in a game that could have put us fourth. I mean, other than 85-86, certainly in my lifetime supporting the Hammers, I can't think of many times we've got that deep into the season in such a secure position. Now, considering the brief for David Moyes at the beginning of the season, both from his employers and from us, the fans, would have been, mate, if you get a top 10 finish, we will consider it a very big success, right? Um, he has, at this stage, got almost nothing to lose. So if you're ever going to throw caution to the wind and go, let's get at it. Let's get, we're at home. They've got a weakened side. Let's try and just beat them. Don't worry about what they're going to do. Let's just go at them. Let's make, let's ask them questions, right? If you're ever going to do it, it would have been then. We played like a team who were fighting relegation and were just terrified of losing, right? And it, I just don't understand that at all. I mean, I would say he cannot lose now. He's already done enough this season for it to be considered a success. A show of us losing every game, which is not going to happen, right? So when we play Spurs, City, United in the Cup, I mean, he will he will go more. Um, I, I would imagine he'd go more cavalier against United in the Cup because it's the Cup. He's just got to learn his lesson and just go, listen, what does it matter? If we lose, it doesn't... I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but we don't expect to necessarily beat Manchester City, Right? But we don't want to lose in the way we did against Liverpool. Because if, if you've just turned up and not even really put... We know we're, we're such a threat. We've got so many goal-scoring threats all over the pitch, you know. And it, and really, they were wasted because all of them spent their whole time just worrying about defending, uh, particularly Bowen. Um, and I, I actually thought Antonio had the least effective game I've seen him have for about a year. I mean, Antonio's never rubbish, but you know when he's like a complete handful and you almost feel sorry for the defenders he's playing against, right? Because he, what he's brilliant at is chasing those lost causes where it looks like the, the, the defender's got the ball and he just somehow gets it back at the last minute and creates a chance. I just didn't see enough of that. He gave the ball away a couple of times. The chance you mention, he wasted... I love Antonio. He's my favourite player in the squad. I know it's childish to have a favourite player, but I'm childish and I have one. It's Mikel Antonio. But I just thought, you know, mentally he wasn't quite at it at the weekend. The Antonio I saw against Liverpool was the Antonio that we've all been seeing before lockdown. 
But mm. the Antonio after lockdown has been like, you know that Popeye where he has his spinach and he gets those muscles? Yeah. That's Antonio yeah. we've been seeing after lockdown. And we didn't play to his strengths. If you're telling me, right, before the match, Liverpool will have a defensive pairing of Jordan Henderson and Nathaniel Phillips, I will say there's absolutely no chance they'll have any, um, like, be able to, like, defend against Antonio's pace. No chance. We should be threading balls to Antonio all, all day long to try and, you know, get him in behind that defence. And ultimately, we didn't do that. Now, tell a lie, there was one instance in the second half where... Uh, Declan Rice intercepted possession and played a pass and I think it was Antonio having a run against Henderson and you're thinking oh go on but obviously Henderson made a tackle but barring that only fleeting moments where Antonio had a chance and as you touched him we didn't play to his strength and it's just a shame really because I just I know I know I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not really over it to be honest Sam <laughs> I'm not really <laughs> over it because it's just such a great opportunity like look at what West Ham are now on the table uh-huh. fifth like we're touching it eventually with transfers but this is a great great opportunity for West Ham to really kick on the board always talk about going next level. Now is the, now's the time to show it. I'll tell you what, I hope that this doesn't affect our momentum. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series of Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. If I did anything wrong, why did they pay me off? You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and many more, you'll hear from former Hull City manager Phil Brown. He didn't mind having the crack, he didn't mind having the banter, but he would he would prove his way was the right way. Dundee United manager Mickey Mellon. I signed for Sam Allardyce, really. And of course, Father Joe Young, owner of Limerick FC, where the Big Sam story began. Now I said, Sam, this is the ultimate goal. Now I'll show you what we have. And I brought him up and he said, Jesus, Father Joe, are you serious? I said, look, nothing is impossible to those who believe. You'll learn about his time in America at the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the way he revolutionised English football and, of course, the England debacle. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. Let's talk about transfers now. The transfer window, uh, cut long story short, the only major sign in Barra, kind of an unknown uh, youngster from Denmark, was Lingard in on loan. We talked about that last week. I think that's a fantastic signing. I know there's mixed emotions about it. Not everyone agrees. I think that's an amazing signing for a club like West Ham to have pulled off at this stage of the season when we're already doing well. But crucially, when it got to the last day, we didn't sign a striker. Uh, we're led to believe that wasn't for want of trying. 
So from what I understand, David Moyes has said he only wanted a, a, a first choice striker. He only wanted someone who was going to compete with Antonio, genuinely improve the team. That wasn't possible in this window. So he, he was happy with what he already had. What are your thoughts on that, Rashane? Well, my thoughts is that it's very irresponsible West Ham not to bring in a striker. I know there's been bids for like different players and it hasn't. They haven't been able to bring someone in in the end, but... It, you touched on it previously, even if it was someone like a Glenn Murray, a Charlie Austin or a Troy Deeney, just someone for short term to provide cover for Mikel Antonio, I would have been happy with that. Yes, I know their names that fans will be excited about, but just so you have that safety net that if the worst case scenario does happen with Antonio, we have someone who can come in. Yeah, they won't do the same job as Antonio, but they're there. And we're not relying on someone like a Yarmolenko, who's not a striker, a Jesse Lingard, who's not a striker, or a Jared Bardi, who's not a striker, or even a Mipo de Pekka, a promising young player in the academy, who I think is really good, but it's way too early in his career for it to be like West Ham saviour. And I just feel like, listen again, West Ham didn't have to break the bank to bring someone in, but just have someone in as a safety net. That's all we're asking for. That's all we're asking for. We see uh, Everton signing Josh King. Fulham signing Josh Madger alone. Both players are linked to a move for West Ham. Imagine how disheartening that was for fans on deadline day. Constantly refreshing their Twitter feed, seeing what's happening, what's happening. And being told, West Ham will not sign anyone. So, I hope he doesn't come back to haunt us, but I reckon it's so irresponsible West Ham not to bring a striker in. I feel, I don't know, I feel differently to you, mate. I, 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 I've got a lot of faith in David Moyes. I think that, you know, to use that phrase, there seems to that cliche, there seems to be a great bunch of lads who all get along with each other and a great spirit in the squad. And I think Moyes is looking at it and thinking, do I want to disrupt this? Do I want to bring in another face? Do I want to risk sort of maybe disrupting the brilliant atmosphere that has been created? Because you never know what a, a, a new player is going to bring to it. Do I want to bring in a player who might be disgruntled about coming here and then not getting a chance in the first team? Which would be highly possible for someone. I mean, at the end of the day, if we were going to sign a the strikers that you mentioned they were going to have to come and accept the fact that you know unless Antonio's hamstrings go again they're going to be at best sat on the bench for the rest of the season you don't know what kind of atmosphere that generates I also have seen so many strikers I mean I think you've listed them before yeah. on, on, one, on one of the pieces on the athletic the amount of bang average and below average strikers that have gone through this club over the last 10-11 years is unbelievable uh, but what it does is it, it reminds us of how easy it is to sign a rubbish striker. You know, it's so easy to sign players from other leagues who you've never seen do it in the Premier League, but who have done it in other leagues and maybe sometimes even in Europe. Um, a jetty being a recent example. And they just, you, you stick them up front. And to be honest, people like a jetty, you know, Zaza, yeah, you could go on and on. There's so many where it's almost like having a passenger up front. Yeah, he'll stand there. Yeah, he might run around and put his arm up once in a while as if he's calling for the ball. But to be honest, you're playing with 10 men plus another fella who's willing to run around in a West Ham shirt near the top of the field, right? And I just don't think that's good. And, and to be honest, Yarmolenko is, I think, I think he's either the top or second top scorer of, of all time in the Ukrainian national team. We've seen him enough to know. We know what his assets are and we know what his limitations are. But against Doncaster, and I know it's only Doncaster, but he did a, a, as good a job as most strikers I've seen play up front for us over the last 11 years. Right? You know he's got the confidence and, and the wherewithal to, to play top flight football in, any, in, in a 
different position. You know, he's going to go in and be able to lead the line and play with confidence and toughness. You know, and I think, why spend money? If, if, we're be, if, if the owners had said, you can spend this money now, David Moyes, but that will be taken out of your budget in the summer, which is exactly what happened last year. When we got to the summer and we weren't spending as much money as most of the fans wanted, the excuse that kept coming back was, well, we had to bring our budget forward and spend it all in January on Bowen and Suchek, right? So in the in the comfortable position we're in now, when you know, as I've already said, it's going to be a successful season almost no matter what now. If I'm David Moyes, I'm thinking, I want to improve this team when we have time and ability to sign exactly the right person where we maximise our chances of it being a success and not another Haller. I want to save my money till then. I don't want to do it in a rush last minute. And yeah, we could have gone for a cheap loan, but even the cheap loans that you mentioned, and I've mentioned names like Troy Deeney for, ultimately, if you've got a really exciting young talent like Meepo, plus a reliable kind of older player like Yarmolenko, you could argue, do you know what? That is enough. That's enough. The reason Everton signed King is because they've got Calvert-Lewin, plus they've got the Turkish fella who they've sent back. So they've only got two. A lot of clubs only have two. Liverpool played with Salah through the middle at the weekend, you know. So I would say we're not a Liverpool or a Manchester City. We can't have, you know, uh, Wells are sitting on the bench anyway. We've got Antonio, who I would say is immovable from that position unless he's injured. And then after that, you've got a quite a nice choice between... One player who plays up front for his country has scored loads of goals, is very skillful and strong, and we know he can do a job there. Or, if we want to mix it up, we've got this tremendously exciting young player, and we're always crying out to see players come through from the academy anyway. So, to be honest, and this is probably because I've just got a huge amount of faith in David Moyes nowadays, I just think, I think he made the right decision. Save your money, keep your powder dry, let's go out and sign someone who's really going to make a big difference for us in the summer. I agree with the whole saving money and going for summer. You've got people like Ivan Tony and so on and so forth you could try and pursue uh, this summer. But I still think you should have brought someone in on loan as a safety net, Sam. I, really, I still I still think that would have been a safe option. That would have been a much better compromise than not bringing a striker at all. All right, let's picture the scenario, right? The, the, worst, the worst case scenario of Mikel Antonio getting injured. Who's going to replace him? Andre Yarmolenko, whose best moment at the club is what, that 3-2 win over Chelsea last season. Barring that, he's given me no indication he can be consistent for West Ham. He's not even consistent as a winger, much less doing it as a striker. Meepo, I like him a lot. I really do. I think he's talented, but he's just turned 18. And I feel like it's a big ask for him to be West Ham's saviour. Who else? Lingard. Lingard can play there, but he wasn't, he wasn't brought into play as a striker. He's brought into play as like a, on the left flank, on the right flank, possibly as a number 10. The only option but, I can think that, that could work is, is Suchak as a false nine. That's the only alternative I think could work. But barring that, I, I just feel like we're vulnerable but now. We're, lo we're looking at plan Bs, right? We're looking at plan Bs. So, uh, you know, it's actually quite a good position to be in. It's like, we're doing really well. So rather than people have debates about what's going on in the team because everyone agrees what our first team should be because they're all good players. Instead, we're making up scenarios about how disastrous our plan B could be. Well, we were having the same discussions about centre-backs in the summer and when Craig Dawson came in, and that isn't a dig at you because of your well-documented <laughs> um, abuse of, of Craig Dawson, which you have since quite rightly publicly apologised for, so let's not go back down that road. But what I'm saying is people get very, like, excitable and angry or worried about 
made-up scenarios. You know, ultimately, if you ask me, would I rather, if Antonio's hamstrings went tomorrow against Aston Villa and we had to play the next six games with either Glenn Murray up front or Andre Yarmolenko, I've got or Mipo, I've got to say, I would rather have Yarmolenko and probably Mipo up front than Glenn Murray or Troy Genie, which is a name that I've suggested. But I'm still not convinced of Yarmolenko. I like him. I think he's all right, but nah, I just don't think he had the work rate to excel as a lone striker. No, but he, but we're talking about a plan B. You're talking about him as if he's our option as our as our main centre forward. My answer to that is yeah, of course we don't want him as our main centre forward. But what I'm talking about is you're you're not going to get someone perfect to be the reserve anyway. So you might as well have someone who you know has experience, huge amount of technical ability, is willing to run, knows the team and the tactics. You know that's that's yeah, and has a huge amount of experience in top flight playing in that position. Willing to run. <laughs> yeah, I think I, against run. Doncaster, I thought he worked. I thought he worked. I thought, you know, against... And I also think this season is that he's got back... He's no Jared Bowen, but I would say no one is. I mean, Jared Bowen is a man capable of playing three positions at once. He's the most willing runner I've ever seen. But Yarmolenko has obviously learned a lot. It's no coincidence that he, you know, of our sort of expensive Pellegrini signings, he's the only one that Moyes has retained in the squad. Because he's got a better attitude than Haller or Antonio did. They had to go because they didn't have the right attitude for Moyes. Because Moyes insists on work. Yamalenko has actually improved in terms of his work rate under Moyes. And you do see him getting back when he loses possession. And putting tackles in in, in um, the defensive area of the pitch. And I also thought against Doncaster, he ran for the ball. He showed for the ball a hell of a lot more than Haller did in his old period in that position. So... You know, look, I don't think Yarmolenko is ideal, but I just don't think for a club of West Ham's size, you're going to have someone ideal. You know, City have had um, Jesus sitting on the bench for years, right? A player who would walk into most other Premier League starting 11s. That's not us. I'm happy to have the top scorer in the history of the Ukrainian national side as our plan B for the next three months. I think that's not... Worst case scenario. But we haven't seen that top score for Ukraine at West Ham. We well, you were yet to see that in fact, that that level of consistency. And you touched on Doncaster, but I dunk their League One. And even against Stockport, I thought Jarmolenko was very quiet in that match. And in fact, he, he actually played uh, as a striker in the last ten minutes against Liverpool and I know it's ten minutes, but he really touched the ball, didn't didn't do much. And I'm just looking and I'm thinking there, there would have been it would have been better for West Ham to bring someone else in the on. That's just how I see it. I hope Yarmolenko proves me wrong like how I've been wrong about all my other predictions. But at this, yeah. at this moment in time, well, I don't think it'll work. Well, it might not come to pass. Anyway, we're all assuming that Antonio's going to go at any moment. Um, but, you know, Antonio's fine at the moment. Yeah, I know. But I mean, you know, listen, this time last year, it was, well, it, 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 we came back after lockdown and in our first game back, um, people were expecting it to be Haller starting up front because well, as we went into lockdown, I think Haller had been selected up front with Antonio, in fact, in a couple of games about a year ago. And we came back and Antonio was playing up front on his own. And everyone thought, that's a bit weird. Is Haller injured? And it transpired that Antonio, like during, during lockdown, uh, Moyes had just decided that actually Antonio was a better option. And turned out to be absolutely right. He didn't get injured. He played a, a huge number of games, very close to each other, back to back in that spell after lockdown. And he, you know, you could argue he single-handedly 
saved us from relegation with his goal scoring exploits. So, you know, he is capable. He's had one injury this season. Maybe that's it. It's out of the way. The, you know, we have seen him go on runs of games without getting injured. So, uh, and I also think that Moyes is a smart guy and he would have been consulting with his physios. And if the physios were very worried about it being weak and him only being able to play in a patched up sort of condition, then perhaps Moyes would have tried harder. But Moyes obviously has some faith that Antonio is going to be able to see out the season. So let's hope he does. Well, let's hope he does. And let's hope, you know, there's, there's, there's enough budget, in, there's enough money in the budget now for West Ham to purchase like three months worth of cotton wool to wrap around Antonio's mm-hmm. hamstring. So <laughs> let's hope they do that between the end of the season. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, uh, Jesse Lingard, do we think he's going to be available? Will he get some game time for our game against Villa on Wednesday night? I don't think he'll start, but he'll definitely more likely come off the bench. And I just feel like we always talk about who's who's losing their place in the team and... From what I saw against Liverpool, I feel like it'll be four nails. I thought four nails were really poor against... Most majority of the players are poor against Liverpool, but I feel like four nails in particular. And I feel like he's in danger of losing his place moving forward. I think that we, as we've talked about before, the final ball, the uh, final ruthlessness in front of goal, the little bit of extra magic when a team are defending deep against us is something that at times, and I'm being very pedantic here because the the team has had a great season um but if i'm being if i'm really nitpicking we sometimes lacked that little x factor in attack and i'm hoping and and i'll be honest i don't know a huge amount about lingard obviously i'm aware of him i don't watch him united every week i've seen him play for england I've seen his best bits i've seen him i've watched games where he's he's popped up with decent goals but i don't really I don't know him inside out as a player, but, you know, I've re- been reading a lot about him. I've asked Man United mates of mine about him, and I'm hoping that he could be the difference 
um, in this final part of the season. He he could be the difference when we're playing against teams who are being very resilient and defending defending deep. I don't suppose Villa will play like that against us, but we've got Fulham and Sheffield United coming up, who I think probably will. Are you hopeful that he might be that guy to unlock stubborn defences? Yeah, because when I wrote a piece in the Lincoln last week and I spoke to Reddy Monestine and Lee Clark, and they were like, one thing that Moyes will love about Jesse is his work rate. And as we mm. know, players are just running. They, they'll run until the final whistle. They had no no problem with doing that. So that would be great if, if Lingard could do something similar. And do you remember that season when Newcastle were trying to push into the top four? I think it may have been the 11-12 uh, season on the Pardew and, mm. and, and the impact Papi Cissé had. Now listen, yeah. I, know it's, I know it's a big ass, but if Lingard could have a similar impact between now and the season, oh my God, I'll be dabbing every week. I'll be dabbing every week, Sam. Papa Cesar, I've forgotten about him. He yeah. scored the greatest goal of all time, yeah. didn't he? I think, it was, I think it was against Chelsea, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to look that up on YouTube yeah. now. What a treat. What happened to him? Yeah, just <laughs> went downhill after that goal. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to be like the greatest player in Premier League history. It went down Bloody hell, hell Papa said, Well, yeah, let's hope Lingard does deliver. I'm excited to have him at the club. Um, I think he's a good age. He's obviously got a good attitude. Moyes really wanted him, which counts for a lot. This is not one of those kind of Carlos kickerballs that Sullivan's just imposed at the last minute <laughs> on our manager. Um, so I think I'm really excited. Let's hope we get to see him do something brilliant against Aston Villa. Let's talk about that game just briefly. Uh, Wednesday night. Villa gave us, I felt, one of the, the the best matches we've been given by any team this season. We somehow came away with a win. Um, I, I'm worried about them. I think they're a decent side, aren't they? I agree. And I think it's hugely important we don't lose uh, this game because we have the biggest match of the season next week against Man United. Fifth round tie, uh, Old Trafford. And I just feel like if, if we were to suffer another defeat, oh, it would just ruin momentum. It's a real yeah. momentum for that match. And if we can get a draw or or a win, that'll be brilliant. But a defeat, oh, it would really just kill the vibes right now. So I'm hoping yeah. it could be a good performance. I I would be perfectly happy with a draw, absolutely, because I think they're a team. They're similar to us. I would say they've surprised people this season. I would say in general quality, we're at a similar level. They probably have... Well, I wouldn't say Jack Grealish was was better than Declan Rice. They're hard to, to they're hard to compare because they're different styles of players. But certainly, he's more of a match winner than Declan Rice, and that that worries me a little bit. But you know, we've we've got players who are match winners too, like uh, Antonio. So I think it'll be a good game. I'll be happy with a draw. I just hope we don't go for a draw. I hope we go on the front foot and make up for some of the tactical mistakes against Liverpool. Yeah, I agree, and. Bear in mind, we beat Aston Villa when we weren't at, we were at our best. We were at our best and yet we still beat them. So, hoping now with the addition of Lingard and, you know, hopefully the players want to prove a point that we can get a good result. And that will be good. Just get a good result and then, you know, get that good vibes back. Rashane, what you got coming up for us in the Athletic this week? Uh, a piece coming up on Wednesday will be why West Ham should have signed a striker, although Sam disagrees with me. <laughs> yeah. And the teaser for next week, there'll be a piece on Dimitri Pyatt's time at West Ham. Uh, there's some really good, funny stories, so definitely looking forward to you all reading it. Fantastic stuff. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, let's get uh, let's get positive again. Let's get behind the team. Uh, we can do this. I think we are on the verge of something special with this team. I think let's forget about the Liverpool result and know that we've got one of the best group of players, the best manager we've had in 10 years at least. 
and that there is still something very special that can be achieved this season by West Ham. So let's all get back behind the team again. Roshane, a pleasure as always uh, to all the rest of you. Come on, you irons, and remember, ladies and gents, there's only one. Samasia Boo! The Athletic. <laughs>